Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 514. This is the weekly podcast about slow flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com the free online directory to more than 880 florists, shops, and studios who design with local, seasonal, and sustainable flowers, and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor for 2021, Farm Girl Flowers. Farm Girl Flowers delivers iconic burlap wrap bouquets and lush, abundant arrangements to customers across the U.S., Supporting more than 20 U.S. flower farms by purchasing more than $9 million of U.S.-grown fresh and seasonal blooms and foliage annually. Discover more at farmgirlflowers.com. For each podcast episode this year, we thank three of our podcast sponsors. Our first thanks goes to Red Twig Farms. Based in Johnstown, Ohio, Red Twig Farms is a family-owned farm specializing in peonies, daffodils, tulips, and branches, a popular peony bouquet by mail program, and their Spread the Hope campaign, where customers purchase 10 tulip stems for essential workers and others in their community. Learn more at redtwigfarms.com. Of course, you've heard me talk about my road trip to California in late June for the fourth Slow Flowers Summit. A few days before the summit took place, I was treated to a morning visit at Santa Cruz Dahlias, a microflower farm owned by award-winning Dahlia breeder Christine Albrecht, a Slow Flowers member. I've been wanting to learn more about Christine's work as a flower farmer whose curiosity about breeding has led to incredibly unique new named cultivars, a devoted following among cutflower farmers, and now a new book published in 2020, Dahlia Breeding for the Farmer Florist and the Home Gardener, written with Brian Spinsock, Christine's spouse, as co-author. I ordered my copy and brought it with me, and I asked Christine if she would sit down with me when I was in the area late last month. She kindly invited me for a tour, and I enjoyed a deeply informative lesson on her work and her passion. In the foreword to Dahlia Breeding, Christine writes, I am fortunate that I have the opportunity to talk and write to people about dahlias almost every day. While familiar with growing dahlias from tubers, many growers simply have no idea that unique varieties of dahlias can be generated from seed. The more I thought about that, the more I was inspired to write this short book and share my hybridizing knowledge. She continues, I'm not a typical dahlia hybridizer who breeds mainly show dahlias. I have as much interest in breeding varieties loved by florists and designers as I do in breeding dahlias for show. I don't have a scientific background. The advice in this book comes from practical experience at my farm. I currently grow on a quarter-acre suburban farm in the California Central Coast. I generate hundreds of dahlia blooms every week, and when they are not being cut for shows, I sell them to designers and florists. These floral designers give me wonderful feedback on what colors and forms are the most commercially viable. Their input helps me set my hybridizing goals. In 2014, after years of learning and experimentation, Christine hand-crossed pollen parent Canora Jubilee with seed parent Elma Elizabeth for a new variety called K.A.'s Cloud. She excitedly sent it off to the American Dahlia Society trial gardens across the U.S., and the Blooms won the Daryl W. Hart and the Lynn B. Dudley medals, the two top awards in the country. Blue ribbons aside, she was hooked, and that experience ignited what has become one woman's amazing journey with Dahlias, one she generously shares with us today. I know you'll enjoy the rest of the story as I introduce Christine Albrecht in today's episode. Visit DebraPrinzing.com to see photos and find links and more details, including book ordering information. Let's jump right in and get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I am coming to you today from Santa Cruz Dahlias, and I am so delighted to introduce Christine Albrecht, the founder and chief chief of everything here. 
<laughs> welcome. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. I'm I mean, so I'm, I'm excited. I feel like I can welcome you to my garden, and it's like so fun. Oh so my gosh, you. it's it's such a treat. And Christine, um, thank you so much for inviting me. I know that this is a busy season for you. Mm-hmm. But you have a beautiful place. And you may hear Christine's uh, colleague, Jan Palia. Palia. Palia, who is, um, I think she's the staff floral designer. And, uh, For sure that. <laughs> and farm, help farm manager, too, and everything. <laughs> a good friend. Uh, it's great. It's great to co-farm with somebody who oh. you love and want to spend time with. So that's great. Okay, so... I think if anyone's listening who is into dahlias, they're already following you on Instagram. They know what Santa Cruz dahlias is all about. But um, there's people from all over the world who listen and um, florists in other markets who probably would like to know about you. So give us a snapshot, Christine, of what is Santa Cruz dahlias? What are all the sort of facets of your business? Yeah, so we started in 2005. A friend gave me a dahlia from Costco, and uh, we had a... a, um, we had a, a bed and breakfast at the time. My husband's like, hey, you should grow flowers for the bed and breakfast. And I'm like, okay. And my son and I had grown giant pumpkins. And he, he said, I'm done with that. And so um, anyway, we just uh, decided to jump in and do dahlias. So I think I started out with 60 and then just grew. And we have about 1,500 dahlias this year growing in our patch. And at, so, at your residence? Yeah. So we have, we have uh, my house. I grow in front of my house. And those are the seedlings. So those are ones I've been trying to hybridize for. And then we have um, cuttings here at the farm, and we also have tubers here at the farm. So uh, about 1,000 here at the farm, about 500 at home. Wow. And you, you're only five minutes away. Yeah, I'm only five minutes yeah. away from the farm. So I'm here every day, you know, just uh, checking everything out, farming. <laughs> so from one Costco tuber in 2005, uh-huh. fast forward 16 years later, you're known for growing cut flowers. You don't sell tubers per se, do you? Not really. Um, this year we we took on um, Stonehouse dahlias, so they I sent them uh, tubers, and now they make cuttings and and then can sell them out there in the world. And they did a great job. This is our first year doing that. And mm-hmm. um, Triple Ren Farm up mm-hmm. by you guys, yeah. they um, have tubers now growing in their patch, and they're going to be starting to sell tubers once they have enough. Uh, uh, inventory no, inventory built up yeah and they'll sell that. them as santa cruz dahlias uh, yeah or, yeah oh. so they my, all my varieties have ka in front of it which is my initials so ka's uh rosie joe or ka's cloud it always has the ka in front so then you know when you're buying one of my uh varieties my hybrids is oh. is with the ka in front how many are there that you have introduced or that are in, in like commercially mm, or commercially. will be eventually commercially available oh. I probably over 50 will be. Okay. I mean, I think this year maybe we have like 12 to 15 going. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. So you have a a very loyal local customer base of mostly florists. Can you talk a little bit about, well, and think about this, guys. Christine has dahlias available six months of the year. That is literally unheard of. These florists here don't know how amazingly look fortunate they are so how, how did that kind of all develop yeah so so it's it partially developed because i i get really really excited about getting my seedlings in the ground and so um i start them in december so those are dahlia seeds and then i have plants by february and i don't really have a greenhouse i don't have anywhere to put them so they have to go in the ground so i learned how to take them through the winter um without them being killed by frost so mm-hmm. i double agribond them every night so i cover them up with agribond two layers of agribond every night and i so, saw some of the hoops you had yeah, yeah. we do lo- lo- low hoops and agribond so we take them through the winter that way um and then as soon as uh it starts to warm up and i can take the agribond off and the plants are pushing up against it i just open it up and then they start growing so the plants at home um, we're here at the farm, but the plants at home are as big as, you know, those five to six feet generally. And those are seedlings there. Wow. Yeah. So the seedlings, um, I've just, I've never grown a dahlia from seed. I just have assumed that that is like incredibly difficult. I have bought cuttings before. They used to sell them at the San Francisco Flower and Garden Show in like little foamy squares. Yeah. And they yeah. were just rooted cuttings. Yeah. Um, and then, but mostly I grow from, grow by planting the tubers. So how is it, are they all comparable or is it, what, what would lead to most success for, for Um, 
the well, farmer. Well, I think if you have a short season, mm. I would get cuttings or make my own cuttings. Like I on um, Instagram, I've got some videos there, and I show you how you can make cuttings in your house. I mean, I literally do it in my living room. Wow. So it's not like you need some special equipment uh-huh. other than, a, say, a grow light and a seed starting mat for mm-hmm. the for the heat. But um, you know, if you had a really short season, like if you're in Canada or someplace like that, you, your your season short. I would get a jump on it because you can get a six week jump by having cuttings. So I would do cuttings um, at, or seedlings. Seedlings you could you can start them early inside under grow lights and stuff. You're gonna have to trick them at that point into thinking that it's spring. So you have to do give them like 14 hours of light. And um, wow. But I think that's a really good way for people to start because it's a for sure thing. Sometimes people get frustrated with tubers because they take sometimes six weeks to come out of the ground. They can rot. A gopher can get them. Um, You can overwater them, you know, all that kind of stuff. But once it's a plant, you can see it growing. You kind of know how to take care of plants. It's more of a natural thing, I think, for most people is taking care of plants. That's so interesting. And the seeds uh, themselves, are they very, like, minuscule? or Um, They're not, like poppy seeds uh-huh. small they look like zinnia seeds okay. i would say um you know and the larger the um flower they come from the larger a little bit larger the mm-hmm. seed is but it wouldn't be over like um half an inch mm-hmm. do you collect seeds then from your particular favorites or oh yeah i do that for sure so at the end of the season i will call out any uh plants all the way down to the ground pretty much of the ones i don't want bees to take pollen from and just leave the ones that I want um, to, to get seed from. And so I do it that way. I also do hand pollination. So I'll cover up with organza bags, certain ones, and then um, exchange pollen back and forth from one to the other. And that way I know the genetics. So if I'm pushing, say, for a burgundy uh, dahlia and, and my the offspring are not burgundy, I know there's burgundy in, in the genetics. So maybe if the next generation I cross again to another burgundy or uh, back again to the burgundy originally I can probably bring that out over time I mean it may take me four years to do it but can probably get that out eventually wow yeah so so that takes a lot of time like an hour a day maybe just to do the crosses and last year after doing it a lot I got about 450 seed from that which is which is kind of a lot from hand pollination but then about Half of them don't really sprout, so then you think you have 250 for like a whole summer. For viability. Month. Yeah, for viability, yeah. yeah. Dahlia seeds are not that viable, anywhere from 20 to 50% viability. So. so those seeds that you took back, that you took them back to your home garden to start yeah, there. I, yeah, so I take a um, paper towel, mm-hmm. you know, wet paper towel, and put it in a wet paper towel, saran it, put it in a warm place, wait for them to sprout, and then put them into a 72 tray. And then keep them warm underneath and light up overhead. And then um, I transplant them up into four inch to get them, you know, big enough to put them into the ground. And those go in the ground in February usually. Okay, wow. But with the the double remake. Yeah. Or Agabon. You have to really watch the frost. I mean, we're lucky in California. We rarely get under 25 um, and so the remay will bump it like anywhere from four to six degrees. And if you do double, it really works well. Single didn't work well one year, but it just usually just kicks it back a little under there. It's almost like pinching them off. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't a big problem. You didn't for lose me. the plants. You just kind of had a little stress. Yeah, a little yeah. stress. Yeah. So here at uh, this property we're at, which you said is a third of an acre mm-hmm. and it's a long, deep, but narrow, basically the width of a residential property but right. super deep and mm-hmm. you're in a neighborhood with little cottages and the, who would know this is back here how yeah. did you find this property oh um well we were looking for um my husband and i used to buy super fixer uppers and we could do it ourselves and so um this came onto the market and it was kind of a super fixer upper and it had this giant backyard so it sort of laid fallow for many many years because we had two kids and I was busy with my kids and so once my kids were in junior high I said okay now's the time to get this fixed up and start growing so had you this is this this transition was after you had that first dahlia that you were growing at your residence yeah oh but then your mind started thinking I've got this land yeah and I could grow more dahlias. <laughs> and then I joined the Dahlia Society. And, you know, then they just give you dahlias. It's like, you know, like like a drug addict or something. Like, you, you need 10 more. You need 15 more, you know. So, so just talking about that, like becoming a dahlia gardener and then joining the Dahlia Society. When did it actually become a business? When did it actually click for you and you thought, oh, I can, I can turn this into something? Well, we 
pretty early on, we started working with one florist here in town, um, Flower Shack. Um, they were a bucket shop. Um, they would kind of take whatever colors we had. Um, and so we, we just always had extra blooms and I felt really bad just deadheading them or throwing them out. Like we were growing them, we're using the water. We might as well like sell them. And they were just happy to do that. So for many, many years, we just had that one florist and, um, she would come here to pick up and, Wow. We felt like it was perfect for us. Yeah, and it kind so. of and, and it was funny because she pro- there probably wasn't this big, big emphasis on local dahlias or anything. It was just no. pretty flowers. You were pretty new back then, right? <laughs> yeah. When did you start? Um, With the, the slow, flower slow flowers movie. book came out in two thousand and twelve or thirteen. So yeah. yeah, and I there are people who've been doing this for thirty years, and I can't. I just showed up and put a name to it. So I think it's amazing that, um, I do think it's amazing that people who used to love local flowers, but they didn't really have any kind of, I don't know, agenda or passion around it. They just thought the flowers were beautiful are now saying, Oh yeah, this is, this is part of my, my business mission or something like that. Yeah. It was also like, we're a bit closer to where they have to, I mean, we're, we're 10 minutes from their shop and if they needed flowers, they'd have to drive, uh, 30 minutes to the local, uh, wholesaler and so or up to san francisco and so then we would get calls like i just got this last minute um wedding in is there any way i can come by are you at the farm right now can you cut me some flowers and i would just like cut them flowers and you know it was nice you know that they could work that way and but christine was it all just kind of word of mouth because this is probably before instagram right yeah yeah so we just really worked with that one florist Mm. and then when instagram came uh, when we started doing Instagram, I can't remember what year that was. Um, we just kind of slowly grew and people started finding us and the other florists in town. We would call them. Uh, yeah, Jan and I would, um, you know, say, okay, we need another bucket store. You know, who would who would be good in town for that and who would pick up? And and we, and then we would call them or bring flowers by and show them. And, the flowers you know, kind of sell themselves, don't yeah, they? Yeah, usually. <laughs> yeah, so we, we just had we just had fun doing it. Um, kind of slow. We mm-hmm. didn't grow very fast, mm-hmm. you know. So Because the, the wholesale side of the business is kind of a bonus to for you now because really the breeding is what, like, floats your boat, right? Right. And, and what the, what the um, wholesale uh, selling to the florists and designers and stuff, it basically helps pay for all the, um, the expense of the farm. And then I get to do my hobby, which is the um, hybridizing, which is really fun. And so uh, it's kind of a good, good combination for us. And we have a lot of flowers that we don't like to just deadhead and throw away. Yeah. So yeah. We, we like to support the local local florists and, and designers too. So, But local florists and designers having access for six, you know, as much as six months of the year is like such a delight. You, the rest of the country, we don't get that. Um, you were telling me that this is going to be a particularly high demand year because of... Um, coming out of COVID and you anticipate being able to sell everything you grow. Yeah, because um, weddings were postponed. And so now the florists are doing double or triple weddings on weekends instead of just one, they're doing like three. And so we used to do our farm stand regularly, like two or three days a week. But now the demand is so high from the florists that we haven't really opened up our farm stand other than a couple of times. Wow. I'm not sure where that will go, but we still have a third of our fields here that haven't really started producing. So maybe once those get going, then we can, we can do some farm stand. We just like it. It's fun. We get to meet all the local um, residents and, you know, Jan makes like these beautiful bouquets, you know, so. um, Oh, we're going to share a photo of that, Jan. That's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, the farm stand is at your, where you live. Yeah. Is it just up on the sidewalk or yeah, the driveway? Yeah, on the sidewalk, <laughs> on an old table, you know, with the, with the umbrella to uh-huh. keep them kind of cool. And then a, a, just a box that is a honor system box pay. And we put, we put little price tags on it so people know how much they cost. And um, we do it in vases because we like our dahlias to um, be kept, you know, hydrated the whole time. Because a lot of times people would be discouraged about dahlias because they're not like roses or alstroemerias where they can be out of water for a while. They really 
we kind of say in the Dahlia Society, like not more than 30 seconds out of water. So, you know, we like to we like to sell them so that the people can appreciate them longer because they're not a super long. Right. Um, they don't have a super long base life, like maybe four days, five days at most for Dahlias. So basically you use these small glass vases and you always are the bouquets are always in these these vases. Yeah. Grab and go kind of thing. Yeah. And if people want to, they can return the vase and take a dollar off their next mm-hmm. um their next bouquet. So, I mean, we encourage people to do that because otherwise, if they're buying regularly for them, us, they'd have a lot of... Yeah, lot you don't of, need 50 of these. No, they don't need 50. But but in a way, it's also uh, quality control because you're not watching someone take a bur- uh, craft paper-wrapped bouquet away out of water and maybe thinking, okay, then you have no control over, over the, your reputation yeah. then. Well, yeah, it's kind of hard because sometimes people say, oh, they didn't last. And I'm like, okay, what did you do? Well, I went shopping. I left them in the hot car. And I'm like, okay, that's <laughs> Dahlia's in hot cars don't work well. Do the together. math. It doesn't <laughs> <Yeah>. add up. <laughs> yeah. So people just think, I think people who don't grow maybe just think that maybe that is is okay. But it's mm-hmm. not It's not mm-hmm. for Dahlia's anyway. How many varieties are you... I don't even know how to ask this question because you grow your own mm-hmm. hybrid hybrids and then you grow other favorites. Right. So do, do you like in any given season, what, how much, how many varieties do you have or cultivars? Uh, probably like, what do you think, Jan? 150? 100? At least. At least. Yeah. Because the second year seedlings, we grow three of just to try them out for the second year. And if we don't like them, then we call them out of the patch. Um, and then, um, ones that we really like, like maybe Kay's cloud will grow like 10 to 20 of those varieties. And then the known varieties that are here, like, um, like Jomanda or something, we might grow five of those mm-hmm. and we use those, we'll use that in the breeding program too. So Cause you want, like. you want enough selection or enough, um, diversification of the p- parent Exactly. Plants. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You always kind of want to bring in new because once you start interbreeding, then you can get some inbreeding depression problems with the with the blooms sometimes so if you're not if you're not not broad, bringing in yeah. yeah more genetics yeah um and then your new thing you said is you're selling at the san francisco flower uh market and so is that something you can talk about a little bit yeah we just started last week so um when COVID happened, we we decided we would make our garden bigger because um, we had time and it's great to be outside. And so um, this year we are probably a third again as large as we were the previous year. And so um, we decided that um, we had enough blooms to approach the flower mart. And so uh, we approached uh, Torchio, who's there, and they said, yeah, sure, let's start in three days. So it's like we didn't have much time to prepare, but it was fun. We had the flowers and they were thrilled and they come and pick up here in wow. Santa Cruz. It's about, we're about 60 miles from San Francisco, so we don't have to make the drive. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't pencil out. It for wouldn't you. pencil out for us. We, we, and we never really wanted to do that. That's not where we wanted to spend our time. So but. they're already sending a truck down to other larger they, growers in Monterey Bay or whatever. Yeah. They're, they're, um, their office is here in Soquel, which is oh. just next door to Santa Cruz here. Oh. So they're, they're actually local, but then they do the, they oh. have, they've had a, um, how long did Jan, they do you think? 30 years. 30 years had a, had a presence at the flower mart. Wow. So. Yeah. I remember seeing them 10 years ago when I was visiting and just knew that they, um, I thought they were maybe, maybe growers themselves, but maybe. I don't think they, they just broke yeah, okay. they think they just broke her. Okay, so great. they'll they go to like Camphor and places mm-hmm. like that, yeah. some of that, and then they go to local lo- small growers like us and pick up too. So florists who do shop at the San Francisco Flower Market now can go to Torchios and say, "Hey, I, what do you have from Santa Cruz dahlias?" And, yeah, and you think it'll be more than once a week that you, they'll pick um, up? Or? They're picking up twice a week wow. right now. That's so fa- as that's long fabulous. as we have the blooms, they're willing to pick up. So we're excited about. that. Oh my gosh, that's great! Well. Uh, I watched you and Jan uh, work with this interesting packaging or, I don't know, flower transport method. And um, you said that, uh, well, I'll have a photo of it, but you said you've also talked about it on your Instagram feed because people are curious. Can you talk a little bit about it? Yeah, what we like about, um, it's basically like a three-gallon Rubbermaid tub with the handles. And then there's there's an insert that pops in and that has about 40 little holes in it. And so what it does with dahlias, which is nice, dahlias don't really like to be crowded. They get their petals get wrinkled and things like that. So it forces them to sort of stay upright. You don't have to lean them too much on each other. And um, it has water in the bottom. So that's what dahlias like too. So you can transport them 
pretty well. And this was a system that was developed because we um, show our dahlias. And so it's a good way to keep them in good shape to get them all the way to the show. Cause, um, to whatever dahlia show you're going to. Yeah. yeah. So we've, we've driven them up to Portland this way. We went the Portland dahlia show. It's crazy. Show. Yeah, we put... We put uh, foil on our windows and the air conditioner on and our gloves on and our hat on and, and drive <laughs> 12 your... hours and freezing to keep the flowers nice. Turned your car into a cooler. Oh yeah, we turned our car into a cooler. We've done that more than once. And then we've also flown them to um, to shows in, in like uh, Pennsylvania and stuff. So we build a special box that goes into the overhead and we put those water tubes on them and lay them on their side. We usually don't do anything but fully tight balls because yeah. those last the best That's for crazy. a lot of travel. But it's fun to just try, you know. Just to be a crazy woman. Yeah. yeah. I, did, like I did have a bucket of flowers I was traveling with once all the way to, I want to say like St. Louis or something. I got on the Alaska Airlines flight. I actually had gotten bumped up to first class because of my frequent flyer. And lo and behold, one of the flight attendants was a friend of mine from the Horticultural Society in Seattle. <sighs> And she took my bucket up and put it on the jump seat in the cockpit mm. and oh. strapped it in. Oh, and I have a photo of it. Cute. I was like, I'm sure FAA would not allow that now. Yeah, but water, <laughs> you know, water spill right, right. in the cockpit. And that former flight attendant is now retired uh, and trying to figure out what she wants to do next. And she's coming to the Slow Flower Summit to learn oh, more about good. flower growing. So you started her there. I know, but I love the idea of you like creating something that fits in the overhead bin of oh, course yeah. you did yeah you have you have to they wouldn't let you keep it on your lap and it wouldn't fit on down and on it's the bigger floor. than a cat yeah so this method then holds 40 stems yep. and this this insert is from the tree industry you said yeah it's from stewie and sons up in the pacific northwest area and um on Instagram, I if you look to my videos, I have a whole video on it that will give you like the okay. numbers to order, the special numbers to get into that box. But um, <laughs> I can said, give it to you too. No, no, I'll pull it. But you said that this company was like, "What's going on?" <laughs> yeah, they they did. What was so cute is the one of the guys in the shipping department is someone that follows me on Instagram, and he's like, "Is this Christine from Santa Cruz Dahlias?" When I because I order them too, I'm like, "Yeah," and I just put you guys up, and he's like, "Oh, so that's what's happening," you know. <laughs> Just put you up on the on your on my Instagram. But it's so. such a it's such a metaphor for I think I don't really know you, but like for I think how your brain works. Like you're constantly problem solving um, to get to a, a result that you you figure should be achievable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this I didn't I didn't I can't take credit for this, but this was this was in place when I joined okay. the Dahlia Society. It's a Dahlia thing. It's a Dahlia show thing. Mm -hmm. Although I think it's maybe just for our area because everybody invents lots of different ways to travel sure. dahlias. But um, sure. this this is how most of the Dahlia showers in our area were um, traveling their dahlias. Ugh. Yeah. So, but you take it a step further, and you when florists buy from you, this is how they're. This is how they're getting their dahlias. They're yeah. not getting them bunched like everybody no, else. No, so we don't we don't think that's best for the dahlias since they're local and they're buying regularly from us. They can just take the tub and then they return it when the next time they come or they drop it by my house mm -hmm. or drop it by the farm mm -hmm. here and and it works out pretty well. Yeah, most and it's, of the time. And also it's not like um basic florist buckets that tend to disappear because there's yeah. not as many uses for this. This is dahlia specific. Yeah. Yeah, and we just really only loan those out to um, people that are in our local Your area. Your weekly clients. When we like uh, sell to to clients that are just sort of one or two time climate, we get a dollar store um, bucket, mm -hmm. and then we tape across mm -hmm. the top and get do a grid, and then put the dahlias in. That oh, way. interesting! Kind so of it, like the florist method. Yeah, so it it works, but I think this is better. But yeah. um, we don't want to lose these tubs because these cost us about fifteen dollars each or twenty dollars <laughs> each. You know, so we do, wouldn't want to lose them. No, but, it's an asset. <laughs> yeah, it's our asset for sure, and we use them for for show when we show and things oh. like that. So, Christine, you talked about um, kind of stumbling into your first Dahlia tuber. What, other than raising your kids, you told me you had a past life as a fundraiser or a grant writer. So, what, yeah. what did you? What What are you borrowing from your past life that you're using now? Um, well, I'm. I was a fundraiser for a nonprofit school for for. 16 years and so I learned how to do fundraising so I'm helping the American Dahlia Society raise money for their genome project right now so mm. we raised about $50,000 
initially, and now we're in another a fundraising drive to raise $43,000. We just got a $23,000 dollar-for-dollar match for, our, for the next round, so we're really excited. So oh anybody who gives to that can, can go to the you know, American Dahlia Society uh, page and, and do that and give if they want. And did you get kind of drawn into that project in particular because you had been doing your own breeding and you kind of were curious about seeing as far as you could push it? Well, it was kind of an interesting um, story because uh, our Dahlia Society, we bring in different speakers and uh, Dr. Virginia Walbot at Stanford, she's close by and we asked her to come speak about how color comes into dahlias and, and how that is. And at the end of her talk, she had a slide that was her wish list. And her wish was for the dahlia to get their, her the genome sequence because that way they'll bring in dahlia into a lot of scientific um, research. And we really need that because dahlia has a, an issue with virus and we're trying to figure that out. And then, you know, there's so much more you can do with, once you have the genome done. You can find out, like, why are there 21 forms in dahlias? That's a lot of forms for our, for our flower, mm. you know, different petal shapes. Mm. Why do we have that? Yeah, that'd be so, like I'm that. so curious about that. Yeah, so that's unusual for a flower. I mean, they are octoploids, which means they have a lot of DNA, but... Um, you know, those kinds of things really can't be looked at unless, until we get the genome sequence. So wow. we're excited about that. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, so Christine, um, I need you to explain how dahlias can be propagated okay. because I thought I knew, but I really don't. I mean, cuttings I get, but what else What else is the process? Yeah, so, so dahlias can be propagated three different ways. So one from seed. So at the end of the season, when, you're, when your bloom pops its center and the bees come and visit, there's, there are little dahlia seeds in there, little brown ones, anywhere from a quarter inch to a half inch. And we so, talked about you collecting those, yeah, right? Yeah, so okay. you can collect those, just dry them out, and then um, start them in paper towel the next season, and they, they'll grow into... A full dahlia plant. This is the surprising part. Full dahlia plant, six foot tall, give you tubers and give you blooms all in one season. So that's... And you don't even have to worry about them rotting in your garage. Yes, you don't. Oh, no, God. but you don't know what you get. It's a. It's definitely... Um, you could get something not very pretty. You could get something really beautiful. You could get a lot of singles. You could get a lot of wonky ones. So Because you don't know how that... Genetics. Flower was po pollinated. Yeah, what okay. genetics are coming into play? So okay. every seed is different. Yeah, every like a snowflake. Seed. Like yeah. a snowflake. Okay. Yeah, That's every single good... one. Yeah. So you have to kind of think of of that when you're, you know, if you're a, a designer and you want like all mocha or like cafe au lait, you're not going to get that with seeds. So, but if you're just curious, it's fun to do. It's really fun to do. And if you and if you create a new variety, you can name it and you know sell it or all those things. So that's really fun. And then they're also able to take cuttings. So if you start a tuber um, and it puts up a sprout, you can you can cut that off, put it in your rooting compound, and um, kind of keep it moist for ten days. And that is a, called the cutting. And those are really nice to get a jump on your season. I would definitely do that. So cuttings come from the sprout off of the tuber. Generally, yeah. It's not like I'm going to go take an herbaceous cut and uh, like I would with a geranium or something. Not usually. Okay. You can with dahlias do it that way, but um, it's most, really tuber -based. most everybody does tuber-based or okay. pot root, which we probably won't get into okay. because it's kind of complicated. Okay. Um, and then there's also just tubers that most people, that's how most people grow them. So those are the three ways that yeah. um, that you do propagate dahlias. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think there was so much emphasis in the last 10 years about how to dig and divide. And a lot of flower farmers were doing that to create another source of revenue. Mm -hmm. But now they could actually be developing new channels of business through cuttings and seeds. It's just a, it's just a, maybe a different... I don't know. You're not getting the volume, maybe, as as dividing tubers, right? Oh, with um, with the seeds, you mean? Yeah. No, you could get a lot of seed okay. if you did if you do let the bees do it. If you do hand pollination, it's another thing. But um, you no, know, you would get a lot of seed. And I, I, you know, Swan Island, which is a big dahlia grower, they they sell seed. Um, Aaron at Florette sells seeds. Uh, there are other people that sell seeds. Mm -hmm. um, most of the time, they're open pollination, so which means uh, and nothing been culled. So you're going to get a whole lot of singles and mostly mostly singles okay yeah thank goodness singles are beautiful and desirable now yes, too so I know they are yeah so when did the fascination for you come along with breeding uh, because it was it when you started meeting all these people in the dahlia societies and even knew that that was a thing yeah i didn't know that was a thing when i first started i thought they all just grew from tubers and then i joined the dahlia society and there were a fair amount of breeders um, in our dahlia society here in santa cruz so 
um, you know, we got, we were able to learn from them how to, how to do that. And, you know, there are really famous ones up in your area in mm-hmm. the Pacific Northwest. There's, you know, like uh, Holly Hill mm-hmm. and uh, many, many yeah, other ones up familiar there. names. And, yeah. yeah. The bullies up there, they, 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 they hybridize incredible flowers up there. So I, I was interested in, um, you know, learning how to hybridize. And so it took me about four years to really learn it well. There wasn't a book out. Um, we, we wrote a book this, this year called, um, called, uh, Dahlia Breeding for the Farmer, Florist, and Home Gardener. And, um, the reason we wrote that was so that people, I wrote it because I didn't want people to have to spend four years trying to figure it out. So, wow. so this, this is really your, your preferred method that you're sharing in the book. Yeah. And it, the subtitle is For the Farmer, Florist, and the Home Gardener, a step-by-step guide to hybridizing new dahlia varieties from seed by Christine Albrecht with Brian Sprinsock, right. who is... My husband. <laughs> and you said that Brian really... Um, this is great. I ordered it off of Amazon. It's it's self-published, right? Yes. Can people mm-hmm. order it from you directly? No, we don't really do that. You don't so. want to deal with that? Well, yeah. it's just... Uh, it's sort of complicated. We have to bring the books in, and then we have to send them yeah. out again. So yeah. um, Amazon just does uh, printing on demand. It's oh. pretty amazing. Okay. Like, you order it, and they print it, and two days later, they send it to you. So Yeah, it, and it was exciting to get it in the mail because I forgot I had ordered it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, this is great. I'm going to come meet you. Yeah, so this will take people step-by-step through if they want to learn how to hybridize and there's lots of different strategies there's actually nine different strategies in the book ones that would work with you like hand pollination takes a lot of time but um, open pollination with the bees doing the work doesn't take that much time and you can still get some really good outcomes that way so I think if I were starting out I would do the open pollination with cutting out the uh, the plants that I didn't want the bees to take pollen from I wow. think that would be the easiest wow. way and at the end of the season when you're done cutting for your florists and designers or just appreciating the flowers yourself. When you um, get a successful, um, I guess they're called variety, variety right? Yeah. Um, and then you name it. You made a decision to put KA at the beginning of them. And it's sort of like you're, it's, it's a brand thing for you, right? I mean, people start recognizing that, oh, Christine design, uh, did the breeding on this. Um, how do you like register it or get it accepted into, you know, the database of the Dahlia Society? Does that oh, the, happen? Or? Oh, the Dahlia Society. Yeah, you can. Um, so in order to get it into the uh, classification book, it has to, you have to bring it to a show. It has to win at least two blue medals, two blue ribbons and in order for it to get put into that, that um, mm-hmm. catalog. But, you know, you don't have to um, go through the American that, Dahlia Society. That's just one way to... to get it in the marketplace. Yeah, yeah, I mean, anybody who has a variety that they like can just introduce it and, you know, start selling it to their friends or, you know, even go bigger than that, you oh, know, wow. sell it to other, Yeah, you, there's no, like, set rules on how it has to happen. Okay. That's... And I just wanted to put KA, and KA, those are my initials, in front of it just so that, because um, I was kind of frustrated with a lot of the, the hybridizers. They didn't do that, and it's really hard to find out who hybridized what even in the American Dahlia Society. It's so pragmatic what you're doing, yeah. Yeah, so I just said, well, I'm just going to do that. Then everyone knows that they're mine, and if they like mine, then they can just keep buying them. Otherwise, they'd have to know the name and have to try to sleuth it out a little bit. And really, like, find the, yeah, it's like find the pedigree behind the flower. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of ribbons, you have a whole collection of (laughs) trophies and ribbons, and they're in your um, very fancy um, loo. Yeah. (laughs) We didn't know where to put them. We thought, okay, this will be entertainment in there when people are in there. I love it. That's so. Are most of those from like um, local shows or like where do you? Yeah, any national shows? Yeah, national shows too. I mean, most of them are local. We have three Bay Area shows that we go to each year when it's not COVID and um, show. And you typically we typically win a ribbon or so there, and so they go in there. And then we've also. Like flown our dahlias to Pennsylvania to show at the national show, um, driven them to uh, Portland for that show there. Seattle. Using all your wonderful dahlia transport methods. Yeah, and then lots of cold air on the way up, like freezing everybody in the car, uh, down jackets and all. So. And then and then it's all worth it when you get the blue ribbon. <laughs> it is. It's fun. It's it's kind of you know everybody stays up all night you know staging their flowers and filling out the little forms for them and. It's pretty fun, and we don't do it that often that we're not just exhausted all the time because it's pretty exhausting. Do you feel that you have created a a lifestyle-based business based upon a passion? Um, 
because I feel like you just kept following your curiosity. It wasn't like you had a business plan per se. I only say that very lovingly because I would say the same thing about myself. But your curiosity keeps leading you to the next thing, right? Yeah, I didn't really start out saying I'm going to do a Dahlia business and sell flowers to florists and things like that. I sort of started out and then just kept buying more and more tubers and then had a lot of flowers and then we'd say okay what should we do with all these flowers and we didn't i it felt bad throwing them out to me yeah, you know or deadheading or just deadheading them and so um and then we had local florists that were really excited about it a local we started at flower shack um here in santa cruz and they were a bucket shop so it was kind of perfect you know we didn't mm-hmm. have to have super matchy colors going together they would kind of take anything right. they liked brights and at the time a lot of the a lot of the flowers we had were really bright because that's kind of um, a lot of the tubers out there are bright yeah. colors and so yeah. that's that's interesting. That makes me think of my early master gardener days in King County in the early two thousands and all it seemed. A lot of the master I was like in my thirties. I was one of the youngest uh, people in that club, but uh, most of the. Dahlia people were like retired Boeing engineer dudes and they loved the biggest and the most garish. Like that was their thing. And you guys are laughing because yeah. maybe you know those types. That's, well, that's how the Dahlia <laughs> society is too and still is pretty much. And that's why it's so unique that you're in breeding for a floral customer who has a different wish list of yeah. colors and forms, right? I mean, it was partially because Jan here is so into color and and we would be like, no more yellows, no more bright reds. We need, we need some other colors. We need subtleties. We need subtleties. We need complex colors. And, and so once we started breeding and we could walk around and look at these new varieties and say, this is the one, this is, this is going to be great. This is going to work with this. And Jan has like an amazing eye for color. So I'd be like, okay, I'm happy to grow that again. Cause that looks beautiful to me too. But you know, that's, that's kind of how we started. We liked, we were, we wanted them for our bouquets and then. Then the florists were like, yeah, this is really great. We love these colors. And mm. and a lot of them worked really well all together, mm-hmm. too. Like one of our florists says, I love all yours because so many of them, you know, you give us the, the tub and we can use all of them together. Wow. You know, and you kind of. They design themselves in community. Yeah, it could be that, you know, they're getting similar genetics or something, but um, yeah. What is the one here on the cover that of the book? That one's Kay's Mocha Katie. Okay. And that was named after one of our florists, um, Katie, who's uh, with Susie's Flowers here in town. And she um, she came by and I said, hey, come look at our seedlings because it's good for florists to look at our seedlings because they have the eye. And um, she walked down. She said, you have to save that one. I go, okay, I, I don't know if I was going to, but she goes, you have to save that one. I just love it. And I, I said, okay, I'm going to name it after you. I think what's so distinct are the, the margins. Like you really mm-hmm. see the petal uh, contrast. Yeah, it's called Picketty in, yes. in flowers, right? I've heard that when term, you, yeah. When you have that. Yeah, so it has a nice nice Picketty on it. Yeah. So uh, K-A- Kate, Mocha Katie or Katie Mo- Mocha Katie, yeah. Okay, and then um, Jan, tell me what your favorite new Ka choice is. Do you have a favorite, or is that unfair to ask? Well, out of the seedlings, we haven't named anything yet for this year. Yeah. yeah. How about last year? Last year I like, we've got you I like one sixty nine. Yeah, that still has a number. <laughs> Papa John. Oh, like love that. Papa John. That okay. one's going to get introduced this year. And so, can people see that on your website? Yeah, they can see that on the okay. website. And Bella Luna. Bella Luna. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful name. Yeah, yeah that's. A good what? One. Why do you like that one? Is it the, the color is subtle? It's so subtle. It's it's so romantic. Yeah. It's, it's white very, with very a little romantic. pink blush in the middle. It has perfect form. It's a really, yes. it's a, it, that's a good ADS. Yeah, it's kind of formal too. decorative, so everything marches back really, mm. really clean. Mm. Yeah. Wonderful. What about you, Christine? Oh, me. Jan's putting it over on to me. <laughs> I don't know. I have a couple new, always, I always like my brand brand new. I was going to say, like, you only have how many children and do you love them all equally? <laughs> yeah. Well, I always like the, the, the newest ones. And so there are a couple um, balls that, that are small maybe miniature balls at my house that are growing that are just beautiful, like um, cafe au lait color. Wow. So I've been oh. trying to breed for that. They're going to be popular. And yeah, that was, that is, it almost matches <laughs> like, like cafe au lait in the mocha, mocha color, Joe. like, or mocha Joe or, or mocha Maya even. Mocha Maya. Yeah. So I'm excited about that because I was breeding for that, but it's, it's hard to get what you want when you're breeding. You don't, you can't just dial it in and get it, you know, and it's, that was an open pollination from a bee doing it. Wow. So it wasn't even a hand pollination. So 
I would say like more than half of the ones that I keep that I like, the bees did the pollination. Mother Nature is your co-breeder. Oh, yeah. Like, and does it probably way better. And I get more seed that way too and all that. So. Oh my gosh. This is so exciting. I'm so inspired and I thank you for letting me come be with you. Yeah, thank you for coming. I'm so fun to meet you oh. in person. I mean, I've been listening to you for forever. So now you can fun. listen to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is there anything I didn't ask that you want to make sure people know about? I mean, the book will make sure people know how to order. I brought my copy so you can sign it for me. And um, there's a lot of content on your on your social media and on your website. And so mm -hmm. I want to make sure people, if they're curious about more, you've probably already filmed a little clip about that topic. Yeah. Because you're very generous with sharing information. Yeah. On Instagram, <clears throat> there's a little little uh, TV in the middle. Yes. It'll show all but my different videos that I've done. I mean, if you have a question, you can just shoot me a question. I'm fine with that. I ask, I answer questions every day. Like, what's going on with this leaf or <laughs> <laughs> when you sleep? <laughs> yeah, I know. So, you know, I mean, not too many questions that yeah. people ask, but I'm happy to help because I got help. So yeah. I, I appreciate the help I got. So I don't mind giving back. It also sounds like really, if someone is very interested, they should find their local Dahlia Society because that's really what's appropriate for their zone or their, their yeah, that's what That's what I was going to say. I mean, um, I think what the American Dahlia Society has done for dahlias is they really know how to grow dahlias really well. And, you know, they know how to problem solve anything that can come up with them. Um, they like to share information. You'll get a ton of tubers. You know, the, it's a fun group generally. That's how Jana and I met mm -hmm. at the Dahlia Society meeting. You'll meet new friends. And um, I, I think just the, the, the amount of information they have is really good. And, you know... If they may not like cafe au lait as much as you do or, or colors that like that. or well, You can or bring them along. Like you can try to bring them along. <laughs> but if not, you know, they'll they'll be happy to help you with growing. They're, yeah. They are really good at that. Yeah. Like, excellent, excellent. That's good advice. And who knows? Maybe these two worlds are coming closer together. You know, the, the, mm -hmm. the show Dahlia, you know, competition grower and then... The, the person who wants to use it, it with from a design point of view. And it seems like these worlds are starting to discover each other. Yeah, and they do overlap quite a bit. Like uh, Jomanda is a beautiful flower for arranging, and, and it's a great show flower. It could win the best in show, no problem. Mm. You know, so you've got, you definitely have lot overlap in, even in, the, in really nice colors mm. that are ADS kind of blooms that, that win there. But I think we do need to push. I, I think it's important for designers and, and florists to get into doing their own breeding because I, I'm really excited to see because they're so color um, focused that we, we could get some amazing new new varieties out there. They just um, and it, and I think they could do it with just culling culling at the end of the season and letting the bees do the do the work. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm impressed. <laughs> this has been delightful. I took some photos of my tour here. I'll share them in our show notes and maybe I'll get a few more photos from from you, Christine, if there's sure. something that you want to share. And um, while we've been talking, Jan's been doing some floral design. Where are those bouquets? They're in the cooler. Oh, good. We'll take a few photos and share those. Thank you so. <laughs> Much. Yeah, thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. I enjoyed it so much. Thanks so much for joining us today as you learned more about dahlias specifically bred for floral design. I encourage you to visit our show notes for episode 514 at deborahprinzing.com to see photos of my visit to Santa Cruz dahlias and cast your eye across some of the gorgeous dahlia introductions that Christine has bred. This podcast is a vehicle for storytelling and for sharing the stories of our Slow Flowers members. Several years ago, I made the conscious decision to put a priority on featuring Slow Flowers members as podcast guests. There may be an occasional episode with a floral celebrity or book author, but the majority of our weekly guest slots are devoted to our members' stories. We strive for inclusion, representation, and diversity among our guests. We also mix things up when it comes to geographical location and different facets in the floral industry. To be considered as a guest, please be sure you have gone back through our archives to familiarize yourself with our various themes and interesting angles. You can find the archives in the right column at deborahprinzing.com, home of the Soulflowers podcast show notes. 
Then put together a proposal email. Please share your name, your business name and bio, a selection of five to seven photos that illustrate you, your farm, shop, studio, or business enterprise, and of course, your flowers. We use those images in our show notes. Tell me the topic and themes you propose for the episode. What's new, exciting, timely, and relevant to our audience? What is the takeaway that will resonate with listeners? Our ideal guest has a personal story to tell and is generous with information and inspiration to share with other floral professionals. We plan several months in advance, so start thinking about sharing your story, and I look forward to hearing from you. Our next sponsor thank you goes to the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliage, and plants. The Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top-quality products and services to the local floral industry. Visit them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. Today, as we wrap up the seventh consecutive year producing and hosting the Slow Flowers podcast, I have to take a moment and reflect on the amazing community of experts, visionaries, artists, educators, and pioneers in the Slow Flowers movement who have shared their insights on this program during 414 consecutive weekly episodes. What a privilege and honor to hear and share their voices. And beginning next week with episode 515, as we celebrate this show's eighth anniversary, you will not only hear the voices of our guests, you'll see their faces, their farms, their shops, and their studios, and most of all, their flowers. Beginning on July 21st, the Slow Flowers podcast is launching a new live stream video format, which you will be able to view on YouTube and Facebook Live. Each Wednesday, you'll watch a new video episode, and then on the following week, we'll release the show's audio through our established podcast channels, including iTunes, Spotify, and at DebraPrinzing.com, and more. Let's see how it goes. Change is exhilarating, but technology isn't always my friend, so I'm asking for your patience as we work out the new platform. My goal is to enhance your relationship with the Slow Flowers podcast and community, or as I've been told to call it now, a vodcast, the video podcast hybrid term. Okay, our final sponsored thank you goes to Longfield Gardens, which provides home gardeners with high quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Check out the full catalog at Longfield Gardens. That's longfield-gardens.com. Thanks so much for joining us today. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 744,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much as our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of our domestic cut flower industry. The momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks to support Slow Flowers ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at DebraPrinzing.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more slow flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Thank you.